You want to know what I am pro? A freak show. <laughs> I love a good freak show. Like when people start fighting in the middle of the street or there's a car wreck, you know, I'm stopping. I'm going to ask him to, to pull that wreck a little closer so I can see. Like, hey, police, can you uh, fill me in on the backstory? What's going on? Like, I love this. What's going on, fellas? What, what do we got here? <laughs> I feel like I could rule the world. I know I could be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's We're live. What's going on? How are you? What do you think? Uh, I guess is this is the first time we've talked since Deer Dick. Since, uh, since you moved into a, a small woman's bedroom or something. What, do you, what is this? Where are you? <laughs> I'm visiting family for a month in Brooklyn, and I've had to rent a place. It's impossible finding monthly rent, like like a like a three month rental, very hard to find. So we used Airbnb, and it's the best I can do. All right. How's it look? Does it look like Victorian or something? Yeah, it looks like. Um, I feel like my sister had this little princess bed growing up, so it reminds me of that. Um, <laughs> what uh, what you got today? You got a. Uh, I, I could see you're eager for something. What do you What do you have? I'm eager for something. And let me preface this by saying I'm not a political guy. I'm not really conservative. I'm not really liberal. I'm not pro-vaccine. I'm not anti-vaccine. Like I'm not I'm not liberal, I'm not conservative. I'm best described as aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really I, I like not only do I I just don't care is the right. thing. But you want to know what I am pro? A freak show. <laughs> I love a good freak show. Like when people start fighting in the middle of the street or there's a car wreck, you know, I'm stopping. I'm going to ask him to, to pull that wreck a little closer so I can see. Like, <laughs> hey, police, can you uh, fill me in on the backstory? What's going on? Like, I love this. What's going stuff. on, fellas? What, what do we got here? <laughs> when I <laughs> yeah, when I flew here, I, I flew here, I you know, and I download TV on my YouTube app. It was three episodes of Cops. That's the type <laughs> of guy I am. <laughs> so what's caught your eye? What's the freak show that's caught your eye? So basically, this Joe Rogan Kennedy thing. So here's the background. Robert F. Kennedy. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's Kennedy Jr. I don't, I don't know what his acronym is. He needs a good like... R RFK Jr. RFKJ. Is that it? Um, <laughs> so basically, this guy, he... I actually saw him talk a couple times because I like went through an obsession with the Kennedy family. But he's Robert Kennedy's, who's JFK's brother. So he's JFK's nephew. He's running for president now. And he's been doing the pod circuit. He went on All In. And then he recently went on Joe Rogan. And I don't even know all the things that he said, because I don't really care that much. <laughs> but he said a lot of things that could be categorized as anti-vaccine. So, but, and here's what happened. This is the, the cool part. There's this famous professor and uh, kind of famous vaccine guy who's been tweeting all of his opinions and everything. He tweeted out that he says, Spotify has stopped even sort of trying to stem Joe Rogan's vaccine misinformation. It's really awful. And from all the online attacks I'm, I'm receiving after this podcast, it's just absurd. And it's clear many people believe this nonsense. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Joe Rogan is the type of guy who doesn't normally respond to this type of stuff. He kind of, he, he seems like he's got thick skin. He doesn't really get bothered by this. But the same, uh, on the same day, he replied and he goes, Peter, if you claim what RFJ Jr. said is misinformation, I'm offering you $100,000 to the charity of your choice if you're willing to come onto the pod and debate him on my show with no time limit. From there, it, it snowballed. <laughs> so now it's up to $2.6 million of other people. So Bill Ackman put up 150K, Dave Rubin, Rubin 100K, Patrick, ba uh, Patrick Bat David 100K. I think even like uh, Andrew Tate is now offering 500K. Uh, so now don't forget, point Jason Calacan is coming with a hard 10K. Try to slip that in and say, I, I'm with you. <laughs> Put me down for a put me down for a buck. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. I was like thinking about this. I'm like, should I hop in on this and just like say some number? <laughs> like, who's gonna this, collect? Can I get who's collecting from these <laughs> yeah. people? No one's collecting. <laughs> yeah. How can I insert this and in, how can I insert myself into this situation? But now it's 2.6 million dollars to get this guy on the show, and I'm sh I'm I think he's said so far that he's not going to do right. it, and I just thought. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but 
there is an all-new service hub from HubSpot, and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps' time with an AI-powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secret's out. Service Hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com service to learn more. This is awesome. I love a good freak show. I love, like, I think that uh, th- we actually have a presidential candidate coming to our pod soon. Um, I don't know if you know this no. yet, but I've, I've said it. Actually, up. don't tell me. I'd love to be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I love a good surprise. He's a guy. He he he, uh, he started a pharmaceutical company. His name's Vivek, oh, and man, uh, yeah. he like D- he DM'd me like six or twelve months ago, saying he's going to run for president. And I like laughed at it. I didn't laugh at it. I just didn't even respond, which is worse. You know what I'd love to do? Because uh, I think that guy's kind of interesting. But I think what would be more interesting is if we have, because he's kind of, let's say, a, uh, an, you know, an upstart candidate or whatever. Like he's like, you know, not the favorite. He's not the leading guy. Um, I would, it would be great if we had two of the upstart candidates come on at the same time. And so we could debate them because it's actually kind of boring when you have one candidate come on and uh, they just kind of monologue their piece for, for, for a very long time. Like I've seen a bunch of these guys go on podcasts and frankly, it's kind of boring when that happens. I would love to have like the most pipsqueak debate of all time. <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah. us moderating who don't know anything about politics. Don't know nothing. We're two candidates yeah. that only like half, have half a percent in the polls. <laughs> and we're just like, it's this is the showdown. Hundreds of dollars yeah. donated to charity. <laughs> <laughs> What's the question going to be like? What's your opinion on car crashes? Like, we don't know anything. Like, <laughs> do you like websites? Ending of Breaking Bad. Good or a little underwhelming? <laughs> yeah. Like, what, yeah. Call Name your wife right Wikipedia now. Article. Call your wife right now. I want to talk to her. I want to see what she's got to say about you. <laughs> Dude, like we don't know anything. But last time, what was the Asian guy who ran last year who like said he loved math? Andrew Yang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude. dude Andrew. I don't think he just, <laughs> did he run and say, I love math? I mean, that's just like. Uh, I think that was like his himself. slogan it was like, make math great again. I thought that's what it was. But he, he messaged me also He's cool, like, actually. a year before. Well, he messaged me before like one of our events, HustleCon. He's like, hey, I'm going to run for president. Can I come talk? And I was like, I wanted you to be VP. <laughs> I was like, dude, you're gonna make me look stupid by some crazy guy saying he's gonna run for president. You're like that guy on the street who like holds up a sign, you know, that says like aliens are coming. I can't associate with that. And then turns out he kind of made a good run. And so this time I was like, I have to take this at least a little seriously. And so that's why we have to have Vivek on. But yeah, what are we gonna have two guys and being like uh or dot govs? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just ask them about their workout routines. Just we're gonna compare you on things that we value at, in other men. So you know, like here's a situation: person breaks into your house, and we just see how they react. And the reason I'm bringing this up is I'm not one of these guys that says like, oh, like I think Jason Calcanis said this. He's like, podcasts are gonna shape the next presidential no, not even election. Shape. He said. The next president will be de- will will be decided off of podcasts or something ridiculous like that. Let me let me yeah, let me so look I'm up not like an abs- By the way, do we have a little beef with Jason Calacanis? He's kind of sliding into our mentions here. He's, he's he coming doing? in a little hot. I gotta say, I like Jason Calacanis, but uh, if if he'd like some internet beef. I would happily be the recipient of some internet beef. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're the Chef Boyardee yeah, of internet exactly. beef. Let's Great do this. A grass-fed internet beef. I mean, sign me up. <laughs> I like Jason too. I've only hung out with him a couple times, and he's always he's always been nice to me. But he's been nice to me in like a rude uncle type of way, where it's like <laughs> pat you on the head. He's like a compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, that podcast you have, it's really great. I think it's precious. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean. Like he's like, <laughs> it's like yeah. Jason said he loved my startup, but then he said he was cute at the end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that um yeah so but if, if if for the sake of entertainment i'm happy to i'm happy to to call him out um, well i want to do two things so first uh on your birthday i tweeted out um you know just a little thing and then he 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 came into uh, I, I tweeted out a thing i was like yeah happy birthday too and I, I i made up a bunch of nicknames i was like the vanilla gorilla the long arm of the law you know whatever the two percent milk himself sam Parr. and i was like you know gave, gave you a little shout out like that just freestyling and um, he he replies with the, the the like hmm think face as if because I think and I was like what the hell is this what does this mean and then somebody they were like oh I think he thinks you stole his shtick from All In where he he gave them nicknames like uh, the Sultan of Science the 
queen of quinoa, whatever, right? And uh, is that a Jason Calcanis trademark? Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you think you started nicknames? <laughs> <laughs> can I nickname like the like turning left? Like, is that a thing? Like, can, can we can we trademark blue? <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. That's a little weird. Um, so yeah, I, I do think he pats us on the head and thinks he's creepy. But then uh, <laughs> there was another another hilarious Jason Calacanis moment. I gotta say from Twitter. So, um, so I just replied and I said, uh, I said, all in billionaires talking about billionaire shit. MFM millionaires talking about millionaire shit. And, uh, you know, I just like, that's a, that's a description. So people liked it. And then, but someone, <laughs> someone said, except Jason. Yeah, they go, Oh, you, they go all in three billionaires and their friend, Jason. <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's a good burn. And then he came back and said, you know, a, a, a bottom five lamest thing you could say. He goes more like one billionaire and three centi millionaires. Uh, <sighs> whatever. <laughs> Just roll with the punches, yeah, man. Roll with the punches. You never want to say centi, centi millionaire. That's, <laughs> like, that's like, I mean, if I had to insult yeah. someone with $100 million, I would call them a centi millionaire. <laughs> yeah, like 5'11 and a half. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> is that what that's that is? That's got big 5'11 energy. Uh, that's, that's so good. I do want to challenge, by the way, I want to challenge the all-in uh, podcast to um, to a poker game, by the way. I will play all of the all-in podcasts. I'll play all heads up in a game of poker. So I will play them heads up. I'll put up $100,000. And uh, and if they beat, if, if, two, if two out of the four beat me, uh, they, get, they get the 100, 100 grand. But if I beat three or four out of the four, I get 100 grand from them. They each they only have to put up 25k each and I'll play them heads up. We'll live stream you really the whole think thing. You'd win? We'll live stream the whole thing and I will go in order from centi millionaire to billionaire. So I'll play Jason first. <laughs> I'll make quick work of Jason and then I'll go Friedberg, Sachs and then Chamath at the end cuz I think they think Chamath is the best player uh, out of them. So Are you good? I mean I I I I know nothing about poker. Are you good? I'm better than them. That's all they need to know. <laughs> I mean, they named their pod after it. I mean, they're they're basing their a little bit of their their brand on that. You My nickname you, is you the nuts, and if you know about poker, you know what that means. So, so <laughs> you know, we we have our own nicknames for ourselves. Um, all right, let's get back to. It. I, I don't know why I got on this Jason Cal. So rant. we could wrap up. We could wrap up this little part, but I'm not one to say like I'm not going to make an absolute statement like Jason did. But I do think that there is like th- we are going to see that this th- th- this little freak show that's going on right now is awesome for RFK. Yeah, um, beneficial to him for and sure and i think i for sure and i think we'll see a little bit more of podcasting have a and, and here's why i think that this is inside baseball a lot of people don't realize this but so the hustle now is read by let's say three and a half to four million people i have two hundred fifty thousand followers on twitter i think precious. Sha- yeah it's precious sean you had uh two hundred fifty thousand. i've got two hundred fifty thousand followers on twitter you have three hundred fifty thousand. The pod, let's just say, has 100,000 listeners per episode. The pod consistently outpunches in terms of engagement all of those things, I would say. Would you agree with that? In terms of like uh, people who actually like, trust, and um, will take action on things, uh, yes. Yeah, 100%. So I do think that for people who don't realize or who aren't in the game, they don't realize that podcasts have significantly more influence over people than i think any other medium that i've used uh, or that i have access to i don't i don't have a big youtube yeah i think youtube would do the so same but um but yeah podcasts definitely do i i agree with you i think podcasts are a bit, bit of a, a little bit of a sleeper still which is you know depending on who, on, on who you are but i i think people are sh- are shocked at how effective podcasts are at swaying opinion um i want to point out a couple other things so some people are saying Oh, Joe Rogan, you're just doing this self-serving thing. You're just trying to have this this freak show, this debate to like pump your ratings. I would say not true at all. Um, look at somebody's actions, not their words. Joe turned down having Trump on his podcast. He turned down having uh, other presidential candidates on his podcast that he thought would just kind of be promotional or not a good conversation or bring unwanted attention um, to the pod. Like saying no to Trump is saying no to ratings, especially in the last election when he was, uh, or, or when he was kind of on the rise. 
And um, he just said, you know, I'd rather not. I'd rather not do that. I'm not sure I'm the right person to moderate that debate. And, um, you know, I don't think that they would be truthful. I think they would talk talking points, you know, if I had Hillary or Biden on. Um, so I'm not sure that, that that would be a good thing. So I think you can't really say that Joe's just doing this for ratings. I think Joe actually, I think Joe actually thinks RFK. I think he actually sides with RFK and says, all right, if you're going to say this guy's full of shit, come explain why and let him re- let him argue with you and let's see where where it lands. Uh, That's the first thing. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct to consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to D2C Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The second thing is, have you seen this guy, this the scientist? I saw what he looks like. He looks like I would think a (laughs) scientist. I mean, he just looks like a a nerd, right? Like an older nerd. Yeah, he looks like a guy like cosplaying Neil deGrasse Tyson. So he... um, so check out this clip. Do you take care of your immune system in other ways? Do you take probiotics? Are you cautious about your diet? I'm not as cautious about my diet as I should be. I'm a junk foodaholic. That seems basis. ridiculous for someone who works with health. Yeah. Yeah. What's Somet- going on with some- you, man? Sometimes, man, I just don't sometimes. get it right. <laughs> mm, so you live in large, we call it. Like that mouth pleasure so much, you're willing to sacrifice a little bit. Of I health. am, yeah. I, you know, I, you know, I, I can, I have to concede that's the case. Do you take vitamins? I don't take vitamins. Really? Yeah. I don't wow. Take, I don't think they do. What about essential fatty acids, which mm-hmm. are great for your brain? Fish oil, uh, all these different things that are fantastic. Uh, I'm, for I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue with you. What you is got, going you, on with you, 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 got, you got it. Hand, you got, on, you got it over me. Yeah, you got to yeah. sw- listen. But it would. You would have a much better argument. Don't you, you you're, think? You're, you're making my wife stay here. So. If you're taking care of yourself a hundred percent instead but of you just still need, but you still need your vaccines. I'm sure you do, but <laughs> vaccines aren't going to prevent cancer. No, that's true. We got to yeah. get you healthy, buddy. Yeah, can't be pushing only chemicals in injectable forms to facilitate health. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair. not chemicals or vaccines. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> What's in them? What? It's not, I mean, it's some sort of chemical now. No, they're antigens, right? They're right. they're What's they're the fluid ma- macromolecules. What's the liquid stuff? Uh, typically, it would be saline or you know salt water. So it's him on Rogan. That's, it's the same scientist, I believe, on Rogan, and um, in the past, Peter, his name Peter, is Peter Hotz, I think. or Hotz. Um, so he's he's talking yeah. and he's talking about vaccines and um, he says something about <laughs> he says something about he, he's very pro vaccine. Uh, so he's like says something vaccines and Joe's like yeah, but you know like not everybody feels good it's like putting chemicals in their body. He's like oh, it's not chemicals, it's. Uh, these are antigens. These are, you know, cells. And he's like, okay, well, you know what I mean? Like just putting something else in your body. Like, you know, are you taking care of the main things? And he asked Peter, he goes, he goes, do you, do you do other things uh, to be healthy? Cause like Peter's kind of like, you know, he's circular in shape. And so, uh, and he's like, <laughs> well, you know, I, I do, I, I dabble in junk food and Joe just starts pressing him. And I've never really seen Joe do this, but I think he wanted to make a point. He's like, how how much are we talking? Like once in a while, or like every day? And he's like, no, not every day. Like he's like, so how often? And he's like, I, I don't know, like every other day. And he's like, uh, what do you what do you have? He's like, well, potato chips or you know candy or whatever. And he's like, do you exercise? And he's like, he basically this guy over like a two minute period is like, yeah, I eat like shit and I don't exercise. Um, and Joe's like, isn't that crazy? Like, shouldn't you like you know better than that, right? Like you're saying. People are crazy for not taking vaccines or pushing against them, but like you are not doing the basics of human health. Like you're not exercising, you're not eating in a nutritious way. Like, don't you see that that's a problem? He's like, yeah, I should, you know, no one's perfect. Uh, and he's like, he's like, do you really just love that mouth pleasure so much that you <laughs> he like goes in on him a little bit, which, oh, which I've hard. never seen Joe do. He's like I mean, generally like quite like amenable. Like, you know, he's not really, he doesn't really do that. But I think for him, it's like a, you know, he plants a flag around like, you gotta, he's like, it's non-negotiable. Like, you know, he's like, you know, for me, I travel somewhere. First thing I do is I go to the gym. It's just a non-negotiable. It's just something I do. And then the other guy goes, yeah, I do that too. 
And Joe's like, no, I don't think you do that too. <laughs> like, you can just tell him, look at his face. He's like, yeah, but it's different maybe the way I'm doing it and the way you're doing it because look at what's happening here. <laughs> Dude, whenever I, uh, when I go and pick which doctors I'm going to use, uh, like when I move to a new city or something, I definitely, th- their body matters to me. Right, right. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, you don't want the bald barber. Um, yeah, like I, I went to this one doctor and she had this a beautiful vein up her bicep. And I was like, <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I'm in, Vaney. Uh, I was in. <laughs> Say no more, Vaney. <laughs> yeah. Dude, uh, yeah. That's, that's hilarious. I also think that uh, there's some other strange stuff about this guy. Like uh, his daughter has autism and he wrote a book called like Rachel's vaccines didn't cause Rachel's autism or something like that, which I just thought was like a really, I don't know. I can't imagine as a parent doing that. That sounds like just very aggressive. Yeah. Um, so anyways, just, I, I would say, and it's funny to see the the debate here because some people are like, there's on both sides, there's the Rogan, you know, macho bro, which is basically like, yeah, bro, showdown. Let's go. But you know, you and me in the <laughs> behind the school at 3 PM, they want to see a fight. Yeah, happen, yeah, yeah. And they really just want to see him like get punked uh, is kind of like one energy. And then the other energy is like, this is uh, stupid. This is not what scientists like trying to bully a scientist into debating when that's not his skill. Like this other guy's a he's a politician. He's going to have talking points written for him, all this stuff. Well, he's not a politician. He's not a he's a wannabe politician. Uh, Well, he's I guess trying to be currently. Uh, But but they're basically like this one guy's like, you know, uh, this is what he's doing. He's going around talking about the stuff he's been doing. He's been giving talks on this stuff for, for a long time. And. This guy's you know trying to just be a scientist. He didn't sign up to be a, like kind of a debater of this stuff. Um, so that's like the other point of view, and they're sort of like anti-bro in that way of like you can't like uh, stop trying to make this a fight. That's like anti-science to do that. This one guy who I really like, his name's Yishan Wong. He used to be he's like from the, the uh, from the tech world, and he um, he worked at Facebook early on. He was the CEO of Reddit. Oh, he has a he has a new company where he's trying to plant trees. Right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's trying to change like that climate, change climate by by planting trees. Uh, I just want to read you what he said. I thought he had a, I thought he had a good point. So he goes: Every science and tech person who's currently on the bandwagon calling for the vaccine doctor to go on Rogue in a debate should be ashamed of themselves. Um, if you care about the truth or science, a, like a, a kind of a podcast debate is probably the worst thing to advocate for. Usually, that argument goes something like this. If you're the vax doc and you're so sure you're right, you should be willing to go on and defend it. Otherwise, you lose credibility. That sounds like a good statement, but he's like, uh, it's an example of what Plato, the philosopher, would call uh, rhetoric's oral spell. In simple terms, what he's explaining is like, there's a difference between what is actually the truth and what can be said in a very persuasive way. And right, you right, shouldn't right, right. want a medium where it's all about who could be most persuasive. You should want to, if you want to debate to the truth, you should do it in a way where pers- your charisma, your persuasiveness, your loudness, uh, your on the spot thinking is deprioritized compared to just like making your most logical argument and then letting somebody take time and refute it. And he's basically like, I call it the Malcolm Gladwell effect. You know, like he he writes so well, and even though it's theories, I'm like, oh, it must be true. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You, when you hear somebody who's so eloquent, you can you can conflate how nice it sounds and how persuasive it sounds for how true the actual argument is and vice versa. Somebody could be so dry and boring that even though they're saying something that's really uh, on point, the message is not received by the by the market. So he basically says uh, he's like, you know, if you really wanted to do this, this is what you would do. Uh, so I, I guess I, just to finish the Plato thing, it's basically. Um, uh, oratory so just going and verbally you know giving like a speech or a presentation um is the medium where you're most likely to have people fall under a great orator spells and he's like people are more like sheep than you than you want to think and a great order can get people to do crazy things and if you've ever seen hitler give a speech or uh you know mussolini give a speech you could see how a great order for and you've seen it in the good direction and the bad direction, how a great order can move people to do something and believe something that may not, they may not have actually believed otherwise. Uh, so anyways, his, his point was like, if you really want to do this, they should do it through long form, boring writing. One person should write down their argument with uh, sources cited, give the other person time to respond to each line, each paragraph of that argument. And then you'll have basically both sides of the argument written out. 
Uh, nobody wants to do this because this is boring. And um, if he actually wanted the truth, though, that would be the way. And I thought that that was really good. And it reminded me of something that was in companies that I had also seen from from uh, Yishan's blog, which was, he was like, yeah, in companies, the same thing happens. Um, the person in a meeting who is tall, charismatic, uh, willing to put their opinions forward, basically, they're 100% confident in their What's opinions. Up? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sound familiar? <laughs> 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 no, I'm not holding up a mirror right now. Um, but basically that person is going to like disproportionately sway what actually happens. And, uh, and actually there's another method. So he basically, it's called the Delphi method. And the Delphi method What's was that? basically this method where um, you bring up a topic. Uh, everybody sort of presents, everybody gets the same set of facts. Then you write down your initial thoughts and statements and then they're circulated. Everybody reads everybody's initial thoughts and statements anonymously. You don't know who said this, so you can't just, oh, the CEO thinks this. Okay, I guess it's right. Uh, you just judge it by the merits of the argument anonymously. Everybody reads it. And then you can go revise your statement based on new information that you got. And you update it and you pass it around again until you get to, you know, uh, a sort of like, you know, what, what, what people believe is the strongest, strongest meritocratic um, argument after several rounds. How, how do you spell that? It's called the what? Method? Delphi, D-E-L-P-H-I. And there's a couple benefits of this. First, anonymous. So it's not just like the, the, the highest ranking official gets their way. Second is it's time delay. So you don't reward time. Like for a great decision, you don't need to think of the answer like right on the spot. Like if it takes you five minutes to think of something, five minutes is nothing. But in a meeting, five minutes is everything. You can't just sit there quietly thinking and formulating an idea for, for 15 minutes or an hour. Uh, the meeting's over by then. And so the argument has moved on by then. So this time delay and anonymity is really important. And I love this. And um, I'll tell you, I shared this with uh, with the CEO at Twitch. And I was like, I think we should do this. He was like, dude, I love this. This actually would solve one of our biggest problems I think we have in our meetings, which is people think that my opinion is the answer. It shouldn't be. I'm actually usually the least informed on the topic because I'm the furthest away from the data. Um, and secondly, like we reward the loudest, the loudest mouth, and not maybe the most thoughtful person who who could have an answer. And it's really hard in a in a normal meeting setting to get that person to speak. Um, then I'll give you one more data point. Josh Elman, who's a, an awesome dude, friend of the pod. He's a he's a VC plus like now he works at Apple, but he was basically like the growth guy at Twitter, the growth guy at LinkedIn, the growth guy at Facebook. Like he like led growth. At like three or four of Robin Hood, Robin Hood. Yeah. Uh, he invested in Discord. He led growth at like four of the biggest consumer hits there's ever been. He, for fun, the other, you know, while he's kind of like, you know, just kind of goofing off now, he, for fun, built this Slack app that does the same thing. He's like, yo, Slack is kind of rewards the same thing. Like whoever's online the most gets to like say the thing in Slack. Um, and he, he created this app that was like a time delay. So you, anybody could prompt a question. And then everybody has a certain amount of time. Like in the question, it'll say, you have, you know, we'll, we'll read the answers in four hours. So anybody could write their answer within the four hour period. What's it called? Oh, thinking time is the name of it. Um, so just Google Josh Elman thinking time. It's a Slack app and thinkingtime.org is the, is the URL. And basically it just gave you time. And then you could say, all right, here's what I think. I think X. And then it tells you all the answers will be released together in 30 minutes. And then in 30 minutes, it posts everybody's answers at the same time to prevent groupthink. And I just love this because I think these little like nuances actually can really change the way any group of people interact. Because um, I know I'm guilty of it all the time. I'm, I'm loud. I'm persuasive. But that doesn't mean I'm smart. It doesn't mean I'm right. And uh, I like actively look for methods or tools to counteract that. This is um, A, awesome. I'm going to use these things. I like that. B, in real time, I just want to call out what just happened. This is called a good partnership <laughs> where <laughs> I bring kind of shit and Sean just kind of polishes <laughs> that shit and, and we somehow get something amazing. <laughs> this is this is this is called chemistry, my friend. This is this is how it's done. That was that was beautiful. I didn't know you knew all the, that stuff and you tied it around perfectly. I'm actually was asking those questions and I'm writing notes. I'm actually going to go use this thing. Thinking Think time. Yeah. Yeah. And the Delphi method. That's awesome. Um, I've got a few more things, but you want to go to yeah, one of Yeah, let me do a quick one first. Uh, I got a simple business opportunity for people. So I don't know if you know this, dude, but uh, so Google Analytics, which is the most popular Ugh. analytics tool on the planet, is, it's is just changed. Like, 
basically shutting down. They're not saying it's shutting down. They're like, it's changing <laughs> for the worse. <laughs> like, I would love to see. Actually, <laughs> yeah. I want to film a commercial on behalf of all marketers out there of the Google fake Google, a fake Google Analytics commercial where it's like, but what if we made it worse in every way? <laughs> what if we rethought it Dude. and removed all the key functionality and replaced it? It's with impossible vague, to use. With vague analytics. Wouldn't that be better than precise analytics? Yeah. It's like, and, and yeah. so people are wondering why. I think the reason why is because of all the privacy stuff, the cookie stuff. So basically the same thing that happened to Facebook where Apple changed their rules, the iOS 14 uh, rules, and all of a sudden Facebook ad performance went down. And it was like, yo, genius is over there. Why, why, is, why is performance down? And why don't you have attribution? Like, why don't you know if I spent $1,000 on this ad, did I make... 900, 1200, what, what did I make? Why can't you just tell me that? Uh, you know, I put your pixel on my website. You know, you're Facebook. You're the biggest geniuses in the world. It's impossible. And the reason why is because now legally, they're not allowed to like use this type of tracking that they used before where it's not a technical problem. It's a regulation problem. Meaning the site that serves the ads can't also track the users on third-party websites. And this is why portfolio company, Triple Whale, exploded. Uh, one of my investments exploded in popularity and is now like, you know, on track to be this huge winner because let's say you owned an e-commerce store and you were using Facebook and you're spending, like we spend hundreds of thousands on Facebook ads every month. Um, we we have to know is, you know, how, how our Facebook ads are performing. And when Facebook's ability to track that got cut off due to regulation, people were like, What's another solution? And Triple O was like, hey, we have this thing called Triple O Pixel. We can tell you more accurately than Facebook how your ads are doing. And so everybody signed up. Triple O takes off, does amazing. And so uh, I think the same thing happened to Google, where Google had to, because of the privacy reasons, be like, all right, you know what? We Yeah, they're just going to ballpark. Like, yeah, because of the on. ads business, we got to just you know, lick a finger and, and, and guess, you know, roughly you got about this much uh, traffic, conversion, et cetera. And so um, not great. So they're upgrading this thing called GA4. It's called uh, Google Analytics Lackadaisical. <laughs> that's like the new update. Yeah, they're like, <laughs> that's the yeah, update. Google Analytics after six beers and it needs a nap. Um, <laughs> yeah. And every marketer I know hates this thing. And also nobody knows how to migrate from Google Analytics to GA4. It's like a, there's like, every time you log into Google Analytics, there's literally like a ticking countdown. Like it's, you know, season four of 24. It's like, dude. Your like your analytics are about to explode. You need to go learn this new tool that, by the way, sucks, and you need to migrate everything over because in 14 days there's no more Google Analytics for you. And um, so me and a bunch of other people are like, "How do you do this?" And we try to migrate over. Didn't we're like, "Is this working?" I don't know if this is working out of the box. And I think right now there's a very simple business opportunity for somebody to go be the GA4 export expert, put out a ton of free content, and be like, "I will handle your migration for you." And you just cold email every business owner that you can think of it, maybe in the e-commerce space, that's where I would start. But if not e-commerce, SaaS businesses, whatever, and be like, hey, do you want help migrating over to GA4? I'll do the whole thing for you. It's done for you, turnkey. Just pay me uh, you know, $1,500 and, uh, and I'll do it. I think, you could, I think somebody can make a million dollars in the next six months just migrating people over to GA4 and auditing their GA4 to be like, hey, is this set up correctly? Um, just as a one-person service business or a two-person service business. I agree. I need it. I need it. We've been trying to like figure this out. I, I don't even know how to set up reports. I was out of the game for about a year and a half, and then I came back, and everything done changed. I, I don't know how to do it. Dude, you, you know, you know like, what else has changed? Uh, <laughs> pronouns and Google Analytics. What the hell just happened? <laughs> I yeah. take two years off, everything and has business changed. doesn't work the same way anymore. <laughs> There's no office. <laughs> Dude, everything has changed. Another thing that's changed is newsletters. Like people are asking me, like, what do we do for this newsletter? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. It's been two years. And in that amount of time, everything has changed. Like when we started the hustle, it was us, Morning Brew, and the skim. And I always, I don't like saying it this way because it sounds like it's a bigger deal than it is because it's not. But we kind of like pioneered this very small industry. And now people take it seriously. And there's all these like agencies around it. And they tell me what they're doing. And I'm like, I don't, I don't get any of that. I don't understand how any of this works. It, it just, things have changed very quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was going to say something, but I decided to, to, to um, take the high road on, on something. I was going to call someone out on Twitter, but I just decided not to do it. I think you'll know who it is, but uh, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll avoid it. Um, okay. I got another thing for you. What? 
How would you like to hear about a business deal that uh, involves one of the goats? Uh, that involves I like goats. billions of dollars. That involves a messy divorce. Let me tell you the story about Michael Jordan selling uh, his team right now, the Charlotte Hornets. That was related to a divorce? In a roundabout way. So the story actually... So, so a lot of people are looking at the story right now and they're like, Michael Jordan bought this team for, I think, $275 million and it's about to sell for $2 billion. The, 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 the whole thing? Did he sell the whole thing? Or majority the owner. Thing? I don't think anybody. I don't think any of the NBA owners own one hundred percent, but I think he's the majority owner. So he, um, the valuation of the team at the time was two hundred seventy-five million, and he bought it, and now it's going to sell for two billion dollars. MJ strikes again. The goat. The goat strikes again. The guy's going to make you know more money doing this than he ever made playing, and pr- more money on this probably than he made through his Nike deal as well. So you know, found a new, found a new way to like you know double his wealth. But what's interesting is actually who owned the Hornets before MJ did. Uh, so I don't know if you know, uh, do, do you know the story? Do you know who the owner was? It's guy, Bob Johnson. No. Does that sound familiar? Most generic I mean, name. I know. Is. I, I know eight Bob Johnsons. <laughs> well, do you know the one that was the richest black man in America at a, at a given time? Well, okay. We're narrowing it down. <laughs> no, but m- maybe. He's the guy who started Bob BET. Johnson. So. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I listened to his uh his wife was uh his wife was like also the the head honcho, I think, right? Him and his wife kind of ran. Maybe it. I'm not sure about that. So he starts um BT with like a he has fifteen thousand dollars of his own money, he puts that in, he gets five hundred thousand dollars from a guy named John Malone, and he's like, Look, there's no cable network, there's no channel that c- caters towards black Americans. And he's like, you know, we can do this. We can build this up. And so they had music, obviously. So it's basically like the black MTV. So they had music, they had award shows, culture, whatever. BET's a winner. And BET wins. He sells BET to Viacom for $3 billion, which is just an incredible outcome, wow. right? So he... Did he own the whole thing? Yeah, they were the... Uh, I don't know what John Malone got. I don't know if it was a loan or equity, but like, yeah, he owned the majority of it. So... After everything is all, all after everything settles, Bob Johnson is reportedly worth you know a, about a billion and a half dollars, one point three one to one point five billion dollars, and he diversifies. He puts a bunch of money into uh, real estate. He owns hotels. So he owns hotel chains. He owns um, uh, you know a bunch of different like assets basically, but they're all kind of like cash cash heavy assets. So building hotels that was a lot. Um, he had like, I think a casino type thing or like some, some gambling thing or whatever. He needed money for that. Um, so he's put out a lot of cash. Then he gets divorced. He gets divorced and his wife gets 400 million out of the 1.3 billion awarded to her in the judgment. Mm. So that judge made a, 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 you know, gave her a very nice, uh, settlement or very nice, uh, ruling. Guess who she marries a few months later. (laughs) The judge. No, <laughs> no wife gets divorced. Gets no four hundred million dollars. I don't know if it was a few months later. I shouldn't say that. Marries the judge, which is just an incredible. Wow, just an incredible anecdote. I was, I honestly wasn't going to tell the story till I heard that. I was like, oh, I gotta tell the story just because that is. That's how thankful that she is was. Amazing. So, so did, did did but didn't they did they freak out afterwards and appeal it or is that a thing no, that went in civil I don't court? So. I don't know. I think it was done. So, so he so this happens. He buys an NBA team. So he buys the Bobcats at the time um, for three hundred million dollars, and um, I think they were like the expansion franchise basically. And so, but they're burning money. So he's losing twenty to twenty five million dollars a year. He loses another 200, so he buys it for 300. Then he loses 200 million operating the thing and just operating expenses, which is crazy because there's this famous phrase when it comes to NBA teams that nobody's ever lost money running an NBA team and all the owners claim they're losing money, but it's really just like a negotiation thing against the players. They don't want anybody to know how much money they're actually making or they'll run it at like a slight loss, but the franchise value is appreciating like crazy. So they're like, Oh, poor us. How could we ever afford to pay for our stadium? It's like, dude, you're, you bought this for 300 million. It's now worth 3 billion. Like, I think you can, uh, I think you can afford it. Um, so he's losing money. He's got all his money tied up in investments. He's got a ton of debt. He's using a ton of debt to, uh, build this thing. He's like, all right, look, I need to turn this team around. He hires Michael Jordan. So he's like, Mike, come, come work for the Bobcats. You're from Charlotte and, um, you know, come work for the local team. You, you run the team. So he's, Michael's running the team. But Bob is getting stretched for cash, and basically he's got too much debt, and his shit's all about to come due. 
And so he's about to lose his entire empire because he can't come up with enough money to pay off his, his, uh, his note. And they're about to take all of the collateral. So he's about to lose all his hotels and his, his team. Do you think that in those situations, which has happened a lot, they go to the ex-wife and they're like, Listen. Hey, <laughs> uh, do you remember that time that I tried to make sure you got nothing, but you still got something? <laughs> Can we talk? You know what I mean? Like, I wonder if there's any, I wonder if, the, I've never yeah, like, we, been close to This is where we had like our that. first date. Uh, you know why I brought you here. I just wanted to <laughs> see if you had any of those feelings left for me because uh, I'm about to lose it all. So he's about to lose it all. And he's like, okay, I need to like sell the team or something. But the team is losing money and they're the worst team. They're the sorriest team. So he wants to sell it for like, you know, $350 million or something like that. Can't find a buyer. MJ comes to him and says, all right, I'll buy it. Um, I'm going to buy I'm gonna buy it for, I'll put down $25 million in cash. Just $25 million, And I want it at a $275 million valuation. So he gets like a 25, 30% discount on the team because Bob's under pressure and has no other choice, basically. He's like, but here's what I'll do. I'll assume all the debts of the team. So I'll get you off this debt, which will relieve the pressure on you. So MJ buys this team for only 25 million down and now is going to sell this thing for 2 billion, which is like a, you know, a hundred X cash on cash return wow. for him buying this team, which is just an incredible move. And yet another reason MJ is one of the goats. Just a shark. <laughs> is that story popular? I've never heard that. No, that's not popular. That's uh. That's a that's a MFM original, an MFM classic, soon to be copycatted by all of our little fanboys everywhere who will uh, take this and turn this into a thread, a newsletter, a TikTok, and an IG reel for themselves. And <laughs> so, you know, it'll be everywhere soon. The one thing that, the, another interesting twist. It's going to be, here's what it's going to be called. It's going to be called like, Michael Jordan made money. He became a billionaire in ways that you didn't even realize were possible. And it has nothing to do with him playing and has nothing to do with <laughs> yeah. Nike. Here's the story of how Michael J- Michael Jordan turned $25 million into yes, a Sam brought your hook for you too. Um, there's, there is more to the story potentially. So the team has sucked ever since Jordan bought them. And like, Basically, he actually underperformed. Like the team sucked. The franchise values are down. Uh, his franchise value should be up more than it is. Uh, he so he didn't actually maximize the value on it. Uh, but it just shows when you when you buy right, it's hard to you know hard to lose money at that point. Um, the other rumor is that MJ is only selling the team because he himself owes a bunch of money. <laughs> That's the other rumor. Uh, I don't know if this is true or not. Well, there's but, always these crazy conspiracy theories that he's like a degenerate gambler. And like, there's always, there was a, I listened to a podcast called Conspiracy Theories, and it was how the mob um, made him retire from the NBA or something like that. And then they, there was even theories that they killed his right, father. Yeah, that's, not, that's the conspiracy uh, is that they killed his father because he owed money and that the commissioner told him, you need to, take a couple years off because we could suspend you but that's a bad look for you and us because you know you, you have this gambling problem so you just disappear so you know that's the that's the conspiracy theory who knows if that's true the other version of this is the guy who bought the team now this guy Gabe Plotkin he's the guy that ran Melvin Capital which is the the hedge fund that the Redditors the Wall Street uh, bets guys blew up in the GameStop thing and so Gabe lost like 500 million dollars and that they were, his fund was about to go under, and then he gets bailed out by what's his name, Ken Griffin. The rumor is that Michael had given Melvin Capital a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars, to invest on his behalf, and that they had lost it, and so um, he needed cash, and so that that's why he sold it. And now he sold it to that guy. He sold it to Gabe, which is pretty crazy. This is this is juicy, man. <laughs> this is this is a this is a juicy grape. This is a this is a grape of a story. I a love this. That, this is a big a lot of grape. that is uh, a lot of what, what I just said is stitching together pieces because people don't come out and say everything, uh, but they do say pieces, and then you kind of have to assume things in between the gaps. And he's protected. Jordan's protected pretty hard. Like I remember, uh, you, you remember that rapper Chameleonaire? Yeah. Uh, he told this story. He he like because you know rappers love uh, Jordan because of. Well, he's like a Just good, icon, like, yeah. you know, a black, a black man succeeding and they love his brand. And Chameleon Air was like, nah, man, Jordan's the worst. One time I tried to get an autograph from him and Jordan goes, nah, I don't give autographs or take pictures with N-words. Yeah. And uh, like, there's like the store at Chameleon Air was like, huh? And he's like, I'm, at the time he was like, I was famous, like not famous enough that I thought like Jordan would bow down to me, but famous enough that like I thought maybe I would get like a, oh, nice to see you type of thing. 
And he's like, I, I got nothing. I got nothing from Jordan and he's an asshole. And, and I, and, and I, I don't remember how he explained it, but it basically, I was like, Oh, Jordan, not a nice guy. <laughs> not, not, not nice at all. He, I would have thought that it was like a story of like, everyone knows that he's a jerk on the court, but I would have thought like, Oh, well, maybe that just like ends once you retire. But it sounds like maybe that's not the case. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why that would end when he retires. Um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's the, uh, that's the Jordan story. Where do you want to go next? All right. I have got one interesting thing. So, Everyone wants to say, Sean, what's your e-com store? Tell me all about it. And you give out little nibbles and you kind of tell people, you know, things are going well. But you want to know what the problem with e-com and also a lot of other businesses that we talk about, the things that are somewhat easy to start, the valuations are shit. Like uh, uh, a decent e-com business right now, what do you think it sells for? Five times profit? Yeah, one times revenue, which is usually, which is the same thing as five times profit for most of these. So... The thing is about is like a lot of these businesses that we talk about and what people initially start, particularly like the really crap ones, like a drop shipping or, or things like that, or an agency, they don't really sell for a lot of money. And so I like to research businesses that A, can last a really long time. A lot of e-com businesses, well, a lot of businesses in general don't last long, particularly ones built off of Facebook and things like that, um, or it's a struggle at least. And also B, they sell for shit. One type of business that I've brought up consistently is trade shows. And the reason why is I've noticed a trend where a trade show business can last many, many, many decades. Sometimes there's many examples of them lasting 100 plus years. And these businesses that are okay, like they're not that fast growing, but they're good. Man, they're consistently selling for 10, sometimes 15 times profit, which is pretty good. That can be three times revenue. Whereas a media property like The Hustle, if it's only okay, that will sell for five times profit sometimes, six times profit. It depends how fast it's growing. But I was reading um, Flash and Flames. It's this like tiny, tiny, tiny trade publication that I read. And they're telling this story about this guy named Tony Robinson. He started this company in 1991. He started this company called UKI. I believe it's UKI Media. Uh, and a- His SEO is screwed. <laughs> you don't want to be Tony Robinson. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's screwed for a bunch of reasons, but he like never never gives interviews. He's like a pretty low-key guy, but it's called UKI Media and Events. And you could go to the website if you click it. It's like it looks old. It doesn't look special and most of the people in the pictures look like they're above 60 years old. Um so it's like not like particularly new looking. You know, they're not at least trying to like be cool. Um and but here's what's interesting. So they own 17 B2B uh, trade shows. Trade shows wow. And they own a couple magazines. But almost all the revenue comes from these trade shows. And their biggest one is a 24-year-old thing called the Automotive Testing Exposition or Expo. And it's basically... This is like a niche among uh, niches. It's not a car show. It's a trade show and co- a core exhibition that has... Uh, it's where the people making the machines that help you test if your car works. So if you're building a Tesla or a Ford or whatever, you're constantly testing like your new self-driving system or you're testing like, I guess, uh, uh, different new components in the LCD screen, things like that. There's people who are building machines to test that. This is a trade show for those people. And I was like doing more research about this. And he was saying, he goes, I chose, uh, I chose to specialize in transportation and avoid developing products and uh, what's he say? Uh, uh, the, whatever. Uh, actually, I was going to quote something. It's not that interesting of a quote. But here's listen to the revenue. 2019, they did 32 million with 30% margin. So they made $10 million uh, in profit. Let's skip 2020 and 21. They only did 8 million in revenue. How they still did 8 million in revenue during those periods, I don't know. 2022, post COVID, revenue of 26 million. Same margin of around uh, 26. So they did 6.7 million in profit. 2023, the expectation is 30 in revenue, 9 in profit. And there's a rumor that they're about to sell for around 12 times profit. So this $30 million a year trade show business is about to sell for somewhere between 100 and 120 million in revenue. And he's done this multiple times. So he had one for Aircraft Interiors Expo. So like people building aircraft interiors, he sold that for 10 times profit. He also had a magazine company that he sold for only four times profit. But he's done this multiple times. And there's this, there's this guy in Hampton. His name's Jonathan Weiner. He's done the same thing. He did Money 2020. He did 
Shop Talk, and I think he did one more. He sold each of them for around 100 to $150 million. And it was like 13 times profit. I'm going to ask him to come on the pod. But it's just crazy that these uh, trade shows are consistently selling for 10 or 13 times profit. Now, here's the, the opportunity. If I'm one of the, if I'm listening to this pod and I'm trying to start a business, what I would do, there's a whole lot of niche Twitter handles. There's the strip mall guy. There's uh, the used car salesperson guy. There's the used watch guy. I don't know this for sure, but I bet I'll, it's not just you and I, like a, a pop culture type of person who's just like paying attention because it's fun and we're outside. But I bet there's people like the strip mall guy. And I bet there's dozens and dozens of other people like that who are in these really niche in which the actual industry insiders follow them and they get they get a kick out of them. It could be like the motor home guy, or it could be the, I don't know, whatever it is. I think you could partner with some of these people and build these trade shows. Because the way these these particular, this guy, Tony Robinson, the way that his thing works is, I think, access to the events are free. But what they do is they hire salespeople and they pay their salespeople a lot. You give them, I think he even says in the article, it's like 80 grand a year base, but up a, you, they can earn $300,000 a year. But what they do is they sell spots or booths at the at the trade show and they create a map where you can like see it all and and different it's just like real estate right. different locations can get higher prices and it's basically like you know it's not like a conference like what I used to do hustlecon or ted talk where you're going to like watch content like the content's not important you might have speakers but that's just to attract the right type of people it's really to do business and so this small I bet you there's a lot of like 10, 30, 40 million dollar year businesses that sell components that sell to Toyota. It's like just your door handle. I don't know, something. And they do business there and they say, all right, great. I got five leads. Those five leads, I can probably get a few million dollars if I can close one of those leads. So it's worth it for me to pay $50,000. I think someone could do some of these trade shows with a lot of these industry insiders on Twitter. And I think that's an interesting opportunity. And I think it's significantly better than many of the other opportunities, including agencies that a lot of people are starting online. It's harder. Like if, it, if there's bad weather, you're screwed. Or if there's a pandemic, you're screwed. But these things can sell for way more money. And they can actually last for dozens and dozens and dozens of years. Right. So that's my pitch on trade shows and, the, and a small opportunity. Yeah, I love it. I think that's great. Um, nobody talks about trade shows more than you <laughs> in my life. And uh, I was stunned when I heard about that guy who did Shop Talk, Money 2020. And I think they did the healthcare one. I forgot what that one was called. Um, uh, those are, it's really, really remarkable. I don't fully understand it, meaning. Um, what don't you understand? Like, uh, let's kind of walk through it. So basically, um, what's the draw to get the attendees to attend? How do you tell the, what, what is the value prop for the attendees? Is it meet others in your industry? Is it see these vendors up close and personal? Is it listen to these famous people, three famous people talk? What is the core draw? Well, I think it's all of the above, but let's go through each one. First, one you didn't mention is I think sometimes it's like, oh, sick. I could justify a free trip to Florida. <laughs> like I'm going to go hang out with people. And also, oh, hey, Bob, who is not really our competitor, but he's in our industry, he might be there. So maybe I can go and shoot the shit with Bob yeah. and hang out with him. But I could bring like eight of my teammates and we could justify this trip. I think that's definitely a thing. The second way that you get the... So it's all about... This is a marketplace. So you need the attendees to be there. The second place, or second way you get there is you need like interesting speakers. So it could even be someone who's not even related. Yeah. But it's like, oh, wow, this one person... Like Gary Vaynerchuk, like that's not really in our industry, but like whatever. Like I would, I've always wanted to see what he had to say. Like, all right, cool, I can get that person. And then the third one is let's just see the latest and greatest technology, and so we can spend one day like getting to know what's going on in our industry. But I really think a lot of times it's rooted in I want to get out of the office, and I can justify this three thousand dollar ticket, and I can get five of my coworkers to go, and it's an easy justification. But in this one, they're giving away the passes for free. Is that correct? The, this UKI thing. Cor uh, when I went to their website, they advertised free passes. So that's the extent of my research. Gotcha. Okay. And then in money 2020, they charge people. Right. And so uh, how do they sell those tickets? How do they how do they build the brand from scratch? Is it content first, uh, free content, then they lead up to it? Or are they just cold emailing? What do you what do you know about how that guy, Jonathan Weiner, or whatever his name was, uh, how they did it? 
Well, so that's why uh, it helps to have some type of audience. And so what you'll notice is a lot of these companies, they're trade show and media businesses. So oftentimes, they'll create a blog or a magazine in order to get some type of audience. And then they'll use that to like use their authority to sell tickets. But other times, I think what you can do is you can just cold email a bunch of people, to be honest. I think that in order to get... Look, I st- when I, the first year that I did HustleCon, I charged $300 and I was a nobody. So like I didn't have an email list. I had nothing. I got the right speakers and I was able to get 400 people to come. And that was only in six weeks time. I think it's actually significantly easier than you think if you go into a niche to just tell a handful of people and those handful of people tell a handful of people because a really successful show in a particular, in a small-ish niche, you can do a lot of damage with a thousand or two thousand people, but then you really start making revenue what, after year four, or five, and six. What show would we do off MFM? Let's say we could get magically get somebody to organize this whole thing because we don't want to do it. What could we use our distribution for that would be awesome? Well, I would never want to do this because I think this because the the value here is low. But podcasting, so you could do a podcasting one. You know, we have. 30 friends who are big ish name podcasters, you could do a podcasting trade show where you have like, what are we using now? Riverside, Riverside would be a booth and like, <laughs> fuck, I don't know, like all the shit that we use. Right. What? It's just like, like the podcast, the business side of podcasting is just so small, but it's like, it's so, oh man. But small is good. Small is good. The, pro- the problem is, is that the contract value is low. Yeah, exactly. That's the issue. You need something where people spend millions of exactly. dollars. So the podcasting would, but like, but would you ever want to go? You don't leave your house. So, but hypothetically, a person like you, would you want to go and like shoot the shit with some other guy who's a little bit ahead of you and like just hear best practices? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Maybe. Okay, so podcasting is one. What else? I don't know, dude. What 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 are you interested in? Oh, well, it's not what about what, uh, what I'm interested in. So what do you think? What niche do you think? What type of niche do you think would work? So, for example, these these guys are doing auto parts and uh, the automotive industry because. It's B2B and a bunch of people are selling uh, you know, high-priced things. We've seen that um, Money 2020 was like, hey, fintech is going to be a thing. Let's just make the number one. F- I, I don't even know if those are trade shows as much as they were conferences, but like, let's make the fintech conference. Let's, uh, let's make the e-commerce conference. That's kind of what they tried to do with those to like ride an upstart wave. Um, we could probably do something either involving investing or high net worth people. So where and your, your booths are... Uh, different type of like a question that you and I and our friends constantly ask each other is like, does anyone have like a, a, an accountant who they trust? Right. Or I am having this tax issue. What are some lawyers that I can trust? I think you could do something in that vein. I would have to narrow in on what it would, what it would be. I think you could do something like that. Um, where like one customer for a particular law firm can earn hundreds of thousands of dollars in a lifetime of fees or, or, or a net worth, uh, or a um, financial advisor could. I think you could do something right. in that vein. And by the way, we've been to a couple of these. FarmCon, I think, is a, is exactly this. So that's for the agriculture industry. We went to that. Uh, another one is um, back when I was doing the sushi restaurant. I remember we somehow were at the QSR. I don't even remember what it's called. Is the QSR event? And I just remember that the CEO, the guy who created it, his last name was Hamburger. And I was like, like I forgot what's the name of that effect where people end up living up to their name. Um, like there's like some, uh, there's like a whole subreddit about this, uh, Reddit people. Live was he just a big juicy guy? I mean, what would he, what was I he mean, like? just, just basically the, just the idea of, um, like somebody who's named John Hamburger ends up creating the quick, the, the fast food <laughs> trade show. Like, you know, Usain Bolt is the fastest man on, on earth. Like, this is just, it's too good to be true. Um, like, if you're that wolf of franchise guy who we like on Twitter, oh, like, yeah. you definitely could this pull is what off, he should do. You could pull off, you could pull off something like this. Now, it's really, the, logistically, it's still like, this isn't easy. This is, this, there's some challenges, but it's, Simple, a, not easy. it's a problem that's been solved tons and tons of times like it's a it's not like you're inventing we're not inventing anything new this is a, a s this is we're selling t-shirts you know it's still like revolves logistical issues but like it, it's it's not you're not inventing anything yeah yeah that's cool um all right i think that's that's good i'm gonna save my other topics for the for the next episode did that not tickle your fancy it does it seems like you you know it's good when i'm slacking in the background because i'm just like oh here's a half-baked idea here's a half-baked idea uh, of what what could happen. I think the trade show stuff is actually pretty fascinating. And I like, you know, I think there's two ways to approach a business. One is like, what do I love to do? And let me just follow the like 
follow my curiosity, follow my natural, like scratching my own itch type of thing. And then the other is like the cold calculating, like, all right, let me work backwards from businesses that sell with high multiples. And I'm just going to go fishing over there because uh, I don't know what, I don't know what my passion is. So might as well just go calculate the best opportunity. I've actually done both in my life. Both can work. You can win both ways. I think it is better to win when you follow your passion, but like, um, but I, but if you're not going to do that, this is a fun way to to reverse engineer what business you should be in. And I don't want to say this is like an absolute thing, but it appears as though the comp the, there's lots of buyers for these businesses because the way that like there's a handful of publicly traded companies as well as um some really like uh, heavy 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 backed PE companies where what they do is they just buy like eight of them and they put them together and they do synergistic stuff to reduce costs and whatever. And it seems as though it's a very, very high buyer market. Whereas like e-com, for example, I don't know if agencies are like this. I I, I don't know. They might be, they may not be. But some of the things that people start there, they seem a little bit more difficult to sell, whereas these things aren't as difficult to sell. Totally. That's right. Um, Good stuff. All right. That was a good episode. I like that one. That's the pod. I feel like I can rule the world. I know I can be what I want to. Uh, I put my all in it like no days off. On the road, let's travel, never looking back. Like-